Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hi, happy hump day. Stacey, hello, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm very awesome. Thank you. Great. I think I... maybe you can also say hello to our listeners out there. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hello, listeners. Thank you for listening. So how's your week been, Tracy? It's been going on. Oh, I'm really excited to uh, be invited to write some articles from magazine. Um, I'm specifically going to write articles around leadership, but inclusive leadership, you know, diversity and inclusivity uh, measures and how to lead in that environment so you know which which platform are we talking the magazine it's called brains magazine oh that sounds right on my street and to be fair i hadn't heard of them no no neither have i Um, neuroscientist and so forth yeah but when i looked at them when i looked at some of the the writers and the writing it's really really excellent and i like their model i mean Basically, how they work is they've got, you know, VIP writers, like Oprah's wrote, I don't know if they interviewed her or she wrote an article, but like, you know, the guy from Valley, um, Marissa Peer is like the famous hypnotist or hypnotherapist. So there's got some big names in that magazine. And what's the subject matter? Well, it's an array. So they have categories like mindfulness, lifestyle. I'll be focused on the leadership category well-being you know those kind of that's fantastic health yeah so it's good Um, it's a really good opportunity to raise my profile in that space but it's also contributing to this area that you're very passionate about exactly well that's the point living your purpose living my purpose baby yeah (laughs) so there's that so I'm excited about that and then there's loads of things happening in the month of April there is what's been happening yeah, it's been good. Um, uh, there's been a bit of a buzz around Sydney because uh, the Obamas have been in town for a few days. So um, I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, Obama's, Barack Obama is holding a uh, speaking event. Um, well, he held a speaking event a few nights ago. So more for one night only. Oh, um, I missed it. Got it. Yeah, there was a little bit of controversy over it. Um, I think, uh, uh, obviously not intentional, but I think as part of a programme, I think there was a, at the start of um, the Sydney uh, day, there was a uh, welcome to country um, Mm. part organised. And um, I think at the last moment it was cancelled. 
and by the organisers. And so there was a bit of a backlash around that. And That's a big deal. No welcome to country in a massive event, especially from a previous world leader. That's in Australia. That's huge. Yeah, I think I'm previously I uh, was uh, the person who was also facilitating this, uh, but also done this with um, Dalai Lama um, right. and another uh, dignitaries who've um, who visited Australia. And it was set in a program. It was all part of a program. But I think the controversy was the the, the person. You know, I should mention her name. Yeah. Auntie Joy, maybe? Oh, Auntie Joy. Yeah, I love that name. I could be wrong. I just want to get it correct. Yeah, so that's right. Yes. So the so the elder, um, her name is Auntie Joy. Auntie Joy Murphy. Yes. And Auntie Joy Murphy was always scheduled to be part of a program to actually commence a program um, with Welcome to Country. And the ceremony includes um, handing over a gum leaf to the guest. Um, and a Apparently, um, Auntie Joy, before the ceremony or before the program, she asked to be to have an, um, uh, somebody accompany her because she's in her 70s. Um, and also to ask if she was able to present a gift to Obama, which was the gum leaf. And the organisers um, uh, categorised this as being um, too difficult, quote, too difficult. And so that was the reason why uh, they thought to remove this from the program and I think it's probably worthwhile highlighting it was the organizers and not Barack Obama so yeah and then it was all resolved um because I'm pretty sure Barack Obama probably heard about this and then the next thing we know is that uh, Auntie Joy has been um invited um to attend the VIP luncheon for the next day and how uh, conducted there yeah so yeah, it sounds really interesting. I didn't get to see Mr. Obama, but um, I know probably, I'd love to meet him. Yeah, I know probably a good thing. I probably would have like thrown some roses at him or something. <laughs> so um, it's better than throwing your knickers at him. <laughs> I know. I do. I would, I would reduce my dignity to that. Besides, what would Michelle say? That's true. I just love Barack Obama. I just think he's like. I mean, obviously, I have him on a pedestal, and I'm sure he's not perfect. But I just have him as this humble smart and um, kind generous advocate for yeah, you know, well, I have to disagree human rights I have to disagree because what you just said there Tracy Obama is perfect he looks good he sounds good probably smells good <laughs> well he is perfection in my eyes he's a next stalker right here <laughs> Perfect. I mean, all those attributes, you know, that's a great human being right there. Yeah, great human being. And I I would love to have met him. I'd love to meet him and talk to him. And and, uh, I'd love a selfie and I'd want to shake his hand. And I I want to just have a conversation. I would have wanted a little peck. Oh, you want a peck on the cheek? Yeah, (laughs) selfie. Selfie I can live without. Just give me a little peck. Peck. Do you remember that? (laughs) And I'm going to wash my cheek. You see, now I understand. Do you know how all these uh, millennials like are all off like Harry Styles, that kind of thing. I think for maybe it's maybe it's our generation. It's Obama, it's Barack, isn't it? Mm. So um, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can. So, yeah, you're right. It's the closest thing I've come to understanding the hysteria around celebrity or musicians or you know movie actors because I've never I've, I'd like movie actors and I like songs and artists but I've never felt like oh I really want to meet them but that's it you see mm. so it's a Barack effect 
The Barack effect. Okay. Well, that was interesting. I mean, I love to have gone. I heard that the VIP lunch was like something for business leaders was something like $1,700 a ticket for the lunch. That was actually the speaking event. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, last year I did try to get some tickets, obviously. But yeah, that's uh, like to spend like just shy of $2,000 um on a speaking event so um yeah unfortunately my budget my baraka budget couldn't stretch mine nor could mine at this point one day one day it will happen it will happen all right thanks for that that was the buzz that was around town with sydney so whatever buzz was happening in the world all right well talking of the white house as you know former u.s president barack obama obviously was his home we have a story from the White House. I picked this story because I love to celebrate the achievements of people of colour. It's part of what we're doing here. And this woman is amazing, actually. I'm talking about the writer, actor and comedian who's just been honoured with a National Medal of Arts alongside other artists, including Bruce Springsteen and Julia Lewis-Dreyfus. So Mindy Carling is who I'm talking about. Is this the comedian who basically did the Mindy Project? The Mindy Project, yes. That's seen a lot of our listeners. Yeah, I'd say that's the first time I've seen her. So Mindy Carling shares rare glimpse of daughter Catherine during the White House visit was the title in the Independent, UK publication, the Independent. And it's focusing, it's interesting. So she's got this amazing achievement. It's kind of focusing on her personal life, but let's let's just see what he says. Um, it's focused on the fact that she, there's a photo of her daughter. So Mindy Carling posted a rare photograph of her daughter on social media. So that's why. To mark her receiving the National Medal of Arts from US President Joe Biden. The Mindy Project star was honored alongside other authors, singers and artists at the White House. In March, so it happened on the 21st of March. So this has happened. She's 43, same age, same age. Carling, 43, shared a series of photographs from the day, including one of her holding five-year-old Catherine's hand as they walked up a set of stairs in the iconic building. She's an actor, screenwriter, and producer, wore a fitted purple dress the occasion, while her daughter, whose face was turned away from the camera, wore a white tall dress with a ruffled skirt and sparkly silver shoes. I like that style. I like her style. Other photos included the Instagram post where one Carling standing next to Biden after accepting her medal and a selfie of her with singer Gladys Knight and actor Julia Lewis-Dreyfus, who also received others. And then there were other public figures who received medals like designer Rhea Wang, Authors Amy Tan, Anne Patchett, and Tara Westover, and Bruce Springsteen. So that's that's amazing that she's won that. What I like about this is how I'm assuming somebody wrote this for Biden. Maybe it's a wrong assumption. Maybe he wrote it himself. But you know, he has to write, has to write something, has to kind of do a little bit of a bio about this person and their achievements yes. as he's presenting this award. Yesterday I went with my family to receive the medal at the White House. To hear the president speak about my parents, their journey to the US, my late mother's dreams for me and the power of comedy to make people understand each other was almost too much to take in. It didn't feel real. And she expressed her heartfelt gratitude and promised to spend the rest of her life 
earning this medal because I don't feel like I've earned it yet. That's humility. I, I call that imposter syndrome right there. How has she not earned that? Maybe it's because she thinks that there's still so much more to do. Yeah, but it doesn't mean she hasn't earned it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's not just Mindy, but a lot of maybe individuals who earn these medals, who are are celebrated, where their success has been celebrated. Yes, they appreciate it, but they also focus more so on, okay, what does a journey look like now? What is yet to come? I I call that a growth mindset. Personally, I've always felt, what's next? What else can I do? How else can I contribute? But that's not the same as being having provided having already contributed so much and not feeling deserving that you've earned this award what do you think that comes from? I mean when I read that I, was, I basically thought of humility I thought wow you know uh, she's very humble about her achievements but I think with someone with an individual if they show humility that doesn't mean that they're lacking a pre-self-appreciation and that's what humility is, is that you can you can self-appreciate without being over, I suppose, without ego coming yeah, in. Yeah, I get that. And I thought what Mindy said there was a great reflection of that. And so, um, and also I think what Mindy, I mean, what I also see, you know, from, as a person, as a brown person, and Mindy's also brown, is that um, also it's amazing to see how far comedy has come um, entertainment has come um, especially for Indian females and uh, uh, females of Indian backgrounds and you know what Mindy's done is groundbreaking because mm. there's not a lot of Indian comedians on the comedy circuit anyway and then when or Mindy, female ones the Mindy comes along not only is she of Indian background but she's also female um, and she's a young female and she's really kind of uh, she's broken that glass ceiling Mm. Um, and so that's what I see this award yeah. as. Breaking glass ceilings, that's what we love, isn't it? And But you're right, also, it's all of those things, not disagreeing with you, but she, apparently these are her words, that she doesn't feel like she's earned it. And that's like, it's kind of, well, to interpret that as diminishing what she's accomplished and what she's contributed. Because what you just said... She's smashed the glass ceiling. She's like one of very few Indian people on the circuit, never mind the fact that she's probably one of very few women. And to have achieved this success and speak to people, the only way she's that successful is because she speaks to people through comedy. Yeah, but a lot of them, um, you often find this with speeches and even whether or not people are in the public eye or not, people who have achieved a lot have made a difference to other people's lives especially they don't seem to recognize it because that's not what they're about that's not what they're looking for it's like they just love doing what they do and maybe that's what's happening here with, uh, in response to your question Tracy about you know where do you mm-hmm. actually maybe that's what it is Mindy is probably and again I'm I'm just putting it out there. You know, Mindy's, uh, Mindy, Mindy obviously loves comedy. She loves laughter. She makes, she loves making people smile. Um, and she's just doing that. That's what she's just doing. And so to be then given a medal about it, she's probably never looked at it in that way. And maybe that's where it's coming from. Yeah. And then she goes on to say, I wish my mum could have been there. Nothing is perfect. Maybe a mum's um, no longer with us, hey? And then there's a Twitter. I'm going to have to follow her on uh, Twitter now. She's put a Twitter thing on there 
which I'm not going to read. And then it goes on to talk about um, her personal life, like her children. She's a single parent. Um, she keeps their identities private mostly and only occasionally posts photos and that she's kept the paternity of her children private. I didn't really know about her personal life so much. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't really follow um, Mindy, um, but I, I suppose um, the article also shows how, I suppose, under the radar she's been. And, uh, and she doesn't necessarily seek the limelight, as it were. Mm. And you're talking about underplaying achievements. You know, that's something, one of the, something I didn't know about Mindy and her career background was that um, there's a show on Netflix called Never Have I Ever. Which I love. So this show, and, I, and Tracy, you'll probably know, you, you may know more about it. Uh, but I didn't first, I didn't actually look at that show first of all, even though it appeared in, in my Netflix Rolodex. I didn't really give it the time of day because um, or I didn't think to choose to watch the show initially on Netflix because uh, the trailer seemed very um, targeted at teens. But it was my friend who's actually a comedian, a very successful comedian in the um, Asia Pack circuit. He actually recommended it to me and he said, you've got to give it a go. And, um, and so I did. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I loved it was because the format of the show was that the main character, uh, the antagonist, is a teenage girl of Indian background. And it tells the story of how she's navigating her life in American culture and uh, with that dual culture of an Indian background, but a Western upbringing, um, which obviously resonated with me. And But it had that comedy sp um, spin on it, which was fantastic. And so I ended up really watching it. And then when I told my friend about it again, um, he actually told me, he said, oh, I'm not sure if you know, but it was Mindy who wrote that. And a lot of people know that, but it was actually Mindy's a writer of that series. I didn't know that. And I've watched it all religiously. As soon as the next one came out, I was like, oh, I've got to watch it. I loved that show. I thought it was awesome. I had no idea she wrote that. And actually, it just reminded me, because you kind of talk about the story of how, I don't know how she came up through the ranks, but she's in a movie where she plays a write a woman, an Indian woman that likes that's funny that wants to write comedy. And oh gosh, I wish I remembered the name of the movie. I forgot, I totally forgot about it. But the key, she's one of the main characters, but the other main characters is um Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Yes. yes. I've seen the trailer again. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I can't remember the name of the movie, but that's actually a really good movie. That's the thing. She's actually broken into Hollywood. So, again, I don't know Mindy's backstory. And, you know, maybe it's worthwhile having having a peek there. And um, But it's basically, um, yeah, it, look, it sounds as though she's come up from comedy. Maybe she's played the comedy circuit for a while. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what came first, the script writing or the, and or the call to Hollywood. Um, but, but she did do the Mindy Project, which is a TV series. So maybe she did the comedy circuit and then it went into a TV series, which often happens. And then they go into Hollywood. It's a bit like uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm. Yeah, he mm. was in the comedy circuit. Then he got signed up for a TV series. And yeah. then, or not, maybe he obviously didn't transfer over to Hollywood as well as we might have liked. But Mindy's done that again, the glass ceiling effect. Yeah, just amazing. Yeah, really good, Val. Yeah, um, on that point about Netflix and... Um, we talk a lot about Netflix. <laughs> people of Indian background. So the um, the third series of Indian Matchmaker is going <laughs> to be dropping in April. So I'm really looking forward to that. Really I've not even seen the first. I, I feel like I need to watch it. Not, 
not seen the first. It was literally a worldwide success, the first series. There was actually reunions and there was different um, chat shows being basically talked about with this Indian matchmaker series one. And it basically focused on the whole series is all about a matchmaker called Seema. And she's from Delhi in India or Bombay. So it's Seema from Bombay and she basically, or Seema from India. Mm. And she basically is a matchmaker, not just for families and individuals in India, but she actually goes over to the States which is a real hook piece because you get to see that Indian background mentality and ideology of marriage and their theory on matchmaking being implemented in a Western culture with people of Indian origin. So I think that's the beauty of the show. You're getting to see how a theory of or a method of matchmaking works in western culture which is fantastic and so she uses india and america but series three which is dropping in april is going to be she's actually taken a plane ride and she's landed in london and so now she's going to be matchmaking she's going to be taking her matchmaking skills to a london market and i can't wait to see how that plays out all right well there you go plug plug for the show there you go and what story do you have for me today the story that i've chosen for today is a story about a story story about a story story about a story so um, as you probably know i'm a big fan of books so i'm probably the only person that still has an an active library card and the story that i've chosen is from um, nine news publication Mm -hmm. and it basically shares that um, the headline is Roald Dahl's publishers should be ashamed for changing language. And what the story is about is about um, how the Roald Dahl stories are now being changed, altered to basically make them more acceptable to modern readers. I didn't know what this was calling out. And so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, read out the article so, so we can see. So the Nine News Network um, article reads, Book Prize winning author Salman Rushdie said the publisher of Roald Dahl's iconic books should be ashamed for changing colourful language in many of the author's most famous works to supposedly make them more acceptable to modern readers. A review of new editions of Dahl's books, such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda, shows some passages relating to weight, mental health, gender and race have been altered. So that's what it's basically talking about. It's basically saying that what's happened is that the publishers of Roald Dahl's books have um, revisited our classics like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda, and looked at where they can basically be more acceptable and maybe more inclusive. And so what they've said, the article goes on to say, Augustus Gloop, Charlie's glutinous antagonist in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was originally published in 1964, is no longer, quote, enormously fat, just, quote, enormous. So they've obviously taken the fat out of the enormous fat. Some characters are now gender neutral, such as Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, who were previously described as small men, but are now small people. 
In the pages of James and the Giant Peach, the cloud men, who are ancient threatening giant humanoids who live up in the Earth's atmosphere, are now presented to readers as cloud people. And while in Matilda, the description of Mrs. Trunchbull's great horsey face has been changed to just face. So uh, I don't know whether or not, I don't know how this has come about. And Salman Rushdie's called it out as obviously a fellow author. And I have to be inclined to ear on the side of Salman Rushdie because I don't know if this has gone too far. I'm questioning if this has gone too far because taking away these, I suppose, making these small amendments in the written form, in the original form, will it take away the impact of the story? I don't know if it makes a difference so much. Um, I don't know if it does. That's a really good one. Listening to the story, reading the story. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in two minds, but more, I'm more leaning towards Salman Rushdie myself. I think the problem is, I'm, I probably there's probably misogynistic, racist, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there probably is all that stuff in there, but it's a reflection of the time. And there's still a messaging, there's still a higher purpose and a higher messaging to those stories that are valuable for people right yeah. and yeah. it's and it's the word of that also that's what he wrote that's the time he lived in and he created these fictional characters I think personally I think the only place where it would where I would be okay with you changing those things like what you described would be if they were put in movie form and then they're based on Yes, that's right. Like, for example, Disney has obviously made adaptations or not even adaptations, but Disney's basically uh, put a different perspective on the way Cinderella or uh, Snow White looks, for example. Whereas with Roald Dahl, it's the written word. And I mean, I don't know if Roald Dahl will be turning in his grave because it is um, what Roald Dahl's writing, you know, it's so magical. And it is about the fact that, like you said, Tracy, it's that underlying message, you know, about, like, for example, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the fact that, you know, it was Charlie who came from such a simple background, so leading such a simple life, he didn't have very much. And it was his values that Willy Wonka saw throughout the journey of the, of the Chocolate Factory that made Willy Wonka then give the factory over to Charlie because it was the values and values are not made of material possessions mm. it's made of character mm. and which he gained from his grandfather mm. chose to accompany him on the golden ticket that was yeah. the message and so so going as far as uh, uh, looking at umpa lumpas like to be honest with you i have lived with um i've been brought up on waldau stories and you know that's the reason why i'm still a book lover it's uh, one of the reasons I love books is because of Roald Dahl. It mm. really is. And I love his work. And never have I questioned what gender the Oompa Loompas are. No. That's never, been, that's never been a factor of mine. And so um, to hear about um, now Oompa Loompas now being questioned in terms of gender and being altered, it's just, uh, it's almost bastardising his work. And I know. I just think you could... It's such a shame. You shouldn't be able to change somebody's work and call it the same thing. I think if, yes, if you want to write, if people want to write books now, children's books, and they have those elements, that's fine. That's what you write now. This is the times we're living in now. But I don't think you can change history because at the end of the day, that's what exists, still exists to an extent. 
those things exist in there and reflected in the books and that's just yeah and also I think and there is a difference between words and um and vision clearly but in terms of like for example the Augustus Gloom example where enormously fat now the word fat has been taken out I mean, I can't speak on behalf of Roald Dahl. But the reason why I was um, always attracted to Roald Dahl's work, even as a child and as and as an adult, is because he was so animated. He was so, well, his descriptions were literally out of his world. Mm. They were so animated. They were over animated. And I love over-animated work, especially in a written form. And you know, and so therefore, that's why enormously fat. I, you know, it's over animated. It's that's what the intention is. It's and so that's why I just think if you take away and if you change that element, you're you're basically playing around with Roald Dahl's original magic potion, mm. magic ingredient. And so uh, I, I think maybe it's a step too far here. Yeah, I tend to agree. I can see. I'm wondering, like, you know, that I'm maybe being cynical here, but I am being cynical. Their motivation, because obviously Roald Dahl doesn't live, they, they must own the rights to his work to be able to change it. I guess what could happen, what they're afraid of happening, is his material becomes kind of redundant, or maybe not redundant, but less popular, because lots of literature, even popular literature, will have. Well, even Cinderella, that's a terrible story, really. If you take the, how, you know, she needs a prince to save her because she's a victim kind of idea, right? In other words, it's like, oh, my mum would love Cinderella because it's all about, okay, you only have a life and a purpose of life. If you if have, a man... If you have a ring from a finger of, of a very rich man. Right. All right, so can you see then how that story has another side whereas the story itself with the mice and the pumpkin and the midnight and it's all very lovely and wow for kids but the the deeper story the message so I can understand why uh, you know there's going to be elements of that in literature with kids stories and how you might think well that's I don't want my kids to read that or that's that's not a good representation I don't want my child to take away that message so I get it so that could be what's happening with the Roald Dahl. But then that just means that the readers don't read them anymore and new stories come in. And if their messaging is more empowering, then that's what people read and take away. I don't. Th- I still don't think you have a right to change what's already written. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because there's not enough children reading these days anyway, you know, especially with the rise of digital technology. There's not enough eyeballs on paper anyway. And, uh, and so it'd be, yeah, it'd be a shame. Yeah, I think so. But you're right. The way he writes, his style of writing makes the the entertaining factor, right? Exactly. It's over-animated. In the article, it says, while in Matilda, the description of Mrs. Trunchbull's great horsey face has been changed to just face. I'm thinking, when I read that, I thought, great horsey face. I was like, so if they've taken horsey out, so now we're also considering horses? Is this where, is this what we've got? I don't think it's to do with horses. I think it's more to do with making women look ugly and horrible and like animals I think it's more about the whole the whole point was about the teacher it's but it's about it's showing character it's vilifying a it's personifying yeah and vilifying through description yeah yeah. I mean that's some the whole point of Roald Dahl's books was that they were over animated and um, to get a point across 
and it was blown out of proportion. That was why they were so funny. I mean, take the twits. It's one of the greatest books of all time. That was completely blown out of proportion. You know, we don't have uh, marriage organisations, you know, getting on a bandwagon saying, oh, you know what, we must alter the way that the twits were presented. Mm. So we don't, you know, it's, it's maybe it's a step too far. Yeah, I think we both agree on that. Um, as much as we advocate for inclusion and diversity and empowering messages, they were written in a time um, and they still have value. And I think more important is if, pe- if you like, if more kids did read, or maybe old as they're older to really be able to see the different dynamics that come out of that story. You know, what are the empowering messages and maybe what could be the perception of uh, discriminations that it's propagating? It's just a discussion. As long as you can be critical and see that. Yeah. I, I don't see that. And, and in terms of adaptation for to make it more acceptable in the modern world, as they're saying, in this article, you know, rather than looking at things like Olympa and Great Horsey Face, um, like, you know, maybe focus on, you know, in terms of ad- adapting, you know, if they're going to adapt things, then, you know, have a look at, I don't know, let's say Violet, Violet, what's her name? I remember in the Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Yeah, her name's Violet and she plays, and the character is a very spoiled child mm-hmm. and she's asking for aid for all these different toys. So she could basically, you know, maybe it's a case of like, you know, referring to her on her phone or, you know, asking for this Instagram. Or they, they make it relevant to modern day. Relevant to modern day, yeah. But again, you know, because that's some, you know. But we'll still be changing it. That's an adaptation. I think the conclusion to this is if it ain't broke, why fix it? Yeah. Well, I just think if you want to send different messages, you have to write new things. I don't think you can change somebody's original work. I think the only person that should, the only person that has the right to change that work is Roald Dahl himself. And he's not here to do that. So you just have to leave it alone. It was written in a time and it reflects the time it was written in. Can't alter history as much as you'd like to. Leave a man alone. Respect the doll. Respect the doll. For this. All right. Have we got time for what would you do? Yeah. Let's we'll do a quick what would you do? All right. Let's see. So here's your what would you do? So this is work, work scenario. In a meeting, a client only looks at and speaks to the men on your team. What would you? That's an unusual one, but probably a common one that comes up. I know if I now think about it, I know in scenarios that has happened to me. Mm-hmm. Now, previous jobs where I've um, been required to work with people in global locations, I have found in previous jobs, actually in a previous job, I was looking after a, a portfolio, which was for the um, India Asia market. And uh, I remember one of the first, in, I remember in, the, in that role, in the calls that I did find that I had to prove myself in the first few calls to gain trust. And then the work would then um, progress. But I don't know where, I mean, I, I don't have it any to compare it with. Like, for example, if there was another male on the call, with me because it was only myself and that was I felt that was maybe a bit of a challenge where because I was owning and managing and leading that particular portfolio single-handedly and I was the only representative when I was speaking with my global um, counterparts in India and the Asia markets who were female 
there was a different um, approach compared to when a male counterpart of theirs would come on the call and they would ask me questions around my background, which wasn't relating to a task at hand. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, well, um, so, yeah, but then again, it's, you know, maybe, maybe there could be another perspective here. Let's say you're in a board meeting and um, and you're not being, there's no eye contact, for example, and there's eye contact or, you know, they're talking to the other male counterparts in the room. It could be that this, the speaker might feel uncomfortable speaking to women. It could be a cultural thing. It could be the fact that they may not have had experience with women in the room before. So maybe holding space for that consideration mm. could be a factor. Okay, so why it matters. It says this slight might seem trivial, but it sends a signal about who matters. In this case, the men, it can also create a dynamic where women miss out on valuable chances to join the conversation and shape outcomes. When this happens, your team isn't able to put the best foot forward. And it says what to do. So it's obviously a suggestion. Do your part to make eye contact with everyone and try to find ways to bring more women into the conversation. When possible, you can pass the baton to a woman in a way that highlights her expertise. So Bavna would be great to answer this. She's actually our resident expert on the topic, for example. So this is this is just a practical way to manage it. Whether it's a culture, like you write, could be in their culture, women aren't senior leaders. They're more like secretaries. And actually, I've, I've worked in an environment where I'd say I've worked in Japan. I went to work in Japan specifically, and I noticed that all the women um, had roles of secretary and there was no women in the positions that, whereas in Australia, the women were in higher positions, obviously, because I was a woman in higher position, but not in Japan. Every senior leader, every manager, every skilled um, role was a man and the only women in the room were secretaries. How long ago? Um, This was in uh, 2018. Yeah, so that and that's in my industry. It was very interesting. But anyway, years ago in the pharmaceutical industry in Japan, yeah, Japan, Mm. five years ago. Mm. And was this? Were you based? Did you were you were you based in office, um, which is in in the middle of a city? No, I was based in Sydney, but I was I'm Asia Pac. I've been an Asia Pac manager for a long time. In Japan, was this in the city? You you saw? Mm. Isn't that interesting? Well, I can tell you so many, the dynamics of Asia Pack um, is very interesting and it really influences how you operate and how you work. And you need, you need to understand these things, but it doesn't mean you just accept them and ignore them because then you will, you know, because then it's hard to be innovative and creative and have everybody's voices heard. You know, you hire people for their value. And if you're going to be ignored just because you're a woman, um, then your value is not being taken on, taken in. But anyway. Yeah, I think like, if I was in a book, I think I've been in boardroom meetings, but I don't necessarily uh, look at, I've been in boardroom meetings and even if somebody isn't speaking directly at me or giving me the, or, or I find that my counterparts, my team colleagues are being um, spoken to over myself, that wouldn't stop me, that hasn't stopped me 
from contributing um, to the task at hand, to the subject matter at hand, in order to do my job. So that isn't a factor. Whether or not someone looks at me when they're talking to me has never put me off putting forward my contribution to my role in my career in, in the workplace. Brilliant. That's fantastic. So what to do, which I already just mentioned, and why it happens. And it says this may happen because of performance bias. Your client may assume consciously or unconsciously. Now, I have to emphasize some of this can be unconscious, which means they're not consciously intentionally doing it. Yeah. It's only when you start to think this plays out a lot that you might start to notice. You know, you talked earlier about the purple car. Once you start talking about purple cars, you see them everywhere. And that's kind of the point of this podcast. We're really highlighting here, trying to highlight unconscious bias and and the way it plays out. And then you'll notice it more. And then hopefully we can give you some practical suggestions on how to manage it. Okay. That's, That's resourceful. And when I say resourceful, it's not blaming. It's not shaming. It's not accusing. It's resourceful because it's managing it so that you bring some awareness to it whilst making the most of the situation as in making it empowering for everyone. That's what I mean when I say resourceful. So why it happens, this may happen because of performance bias. Your client may assume consciously or unconsciously that the women at the meeting are less competent and lower in status than the men. And if your client is a man, this behavior could also be the result of affinity bias where people often gravitate towards others like them. So there's a potential unconscious bias rooted in performance bias and affinity bias there. Uh, I think I'm in that what would you do scenario. I think I'd probably be, um, I'd go the other way in the sense that if somebody isn't necessary, if I feel that a speaker is giving vocal attention to my male counterparts compared to me, it would motivate me to contribute even more to the conversation at hand to basically to get them to look at me Mm. so so in this what would you do I think for me personally it would probably be an instigator of yes I'm going to be vocal in this meeting yeah and it's interesting about status because something else I noticed because I was like I worked in Asia Pac with you know managers senior leaders and I also noticed in some I'm going to say which ones in some countries in Asia Women, I would consider that society, women have a lower status, like it's known, it's a generalization in that culture, in that society, women have a lower status. And then we have women that are in senior leader positions in that culture. I tend to find they don't speak Mm. at the table, even though they're in the position to speak, they don't speak. It's a really interesting, um, what would you do question, because it can go either way in the sense that I can understand that that not being um, looked at whilst being spoken to, that can feel quite intimidating and, sorry, not intimidating, but to be inhibiting, what I was looking for, it can be inhibiting to a female in the room, and it may not necessarily uh, encourage this person, the female, to speak up and contribute, whereas um, other personalities it would be seen as an instigator or motivator to be heard mm. and really heard. And so it can go either way. I can see it from both perspectives. It can be seen as an inhibitor completely. I can understand that. My personal experience is that it's been seen as an elevator, as a motivator. Mm. So, 
I get that. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. There's two things that can happen, though. Depending on how strong that bias is, you could be constantly talked over and cut off. Right, which is really bad. That can happen as well, no matter how motivated you are. And then also at the same time, think about that. Your behavior is to be heard, be heard, be seen. You're really trying to get your voice heard and say what you need to say to contribute. So that's that essentially is an effort that the men don't have to make, right, in the room. And also you have to be careful because, well, you have to be careful in the sense that then you put how you could be perceived as being pushy or aggressive because your behavior is striving to be heard. So the, can you see how it gets it, how it could potentially play out that's right yeah it's, it's tricky to navigate um, but when you are um, if you're not in that situation if you are basically then speaking up even though you haven't been given that eye contact then that is what you also have to be prepared for is and all I have to be mindful of is how I've got a contribution to make to this group in the workplace how am I going to navigate it so I'm not coming across as overly aggressive as rude as you know all these things that mm. wouldn't necessarily have to think about mm. um, so uh, yeah yeah and exactly so imagine you tr- you sat there and you're thinking how can I say I've got this really great idea of contribution how can I say this without being aggressive without blah 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 being respectful not sounding defensive imagine all this yeah. and actually just try, simply trying to make a point it's a minefield but there's just one thing I really really want to emphasize with the whole purpose of having this conversation is it shouldn't be all on the individual. And the idea here is to raise awareness for everyone so that people can be allies and support when they see this happening and offer support. So when you when this is what do you do, it's you see this happening to someone else, not happening to you. Yeah. What can you do? Well, then you you can take action. You can change your behavior. You can bring in that person on purpose intentionally and I think you told me about this before in your own personal experience where you talked about women who weren't seeing you for whatever reason or the group of team of women weren't seeing you weren't hearing you were dismissing your input and when they brought a man in who noticed this he became an ally for you and would bring you in and would comment on your idea that's what we're talking about here we're talking about what everyone can do not just what the individual would themselves yeah and I liked what or I liked what you said Tracy earlier about um you know if there is a boardroom meeting and a person and um, then pipes up and says that oh so and so introduces the person a uh, female um, who's mm-hmm. not being into a conversation saying oh so and so um has um has input on this or has proven experience on this mm-hmm. what's your input on this so it's about you know being able to rely on your co-members your go to your team members to be able to also recognize that you have something to input into the conversation and uh, and bringing you into the conversation. Yeah, recognize that, but also recognize that you're being excluded here. You've got to see that happening. They've got to see that work playing out. If you don't see it, it won't occur to you. And that's where the unconscious bias is. Exactly. So that was a good one. Thanks, Tracy. Yeah, thank you. And as usual, absolute pleasure talking to you, co-host. Thank you. Good. that's all good that was great great story time great story time <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen between now and then no I know and listeners do uh, yeah post all your comments keep them coming in and we'll look forward to chatting um, next week yeah see you then bye, bye.
Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!